Turn in your Bibles to Colossians chapter 4. This morning, uh, um, uh, it might be an unusual message because of the way the structure of the passage is. This isn't the one uh, when youth speakers go to camp and they have one riveting message. They don't go to this particular passage um, and yet this is important because it's inspired by God, and so we'll work through it this morning together. And I trust that God will uh, work in your heart as uh, we read through this passage and um, make comment. Please stand in honor of God's Word, and I'd like to read to you from verse 7 through the end of the chapter. <clears throat> Paul writes this through the inspiration of God. Tychicus Uh, will tell you all about my activities. He is a beloved brother and a faithful minister and a fellow servant in the Lord. I have sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are and that he may encourage your hearts. And with him, Onesimus, our faithful and beloved brother, who is one of you, they will tell you of everything that has taken place here. Aristarchus, uh, my fellow prisoner, greets you, and Mark, the cousin of Barnabas, concerning you you have received instructions. If he comes to you, welcome him. And Jesus, who is called Justice, these are the only men of the circumcision who are my fellow workers for the kingdom of God, and they have been a comfort to me. Epaphras, who is one of you, a servant of Christ Jesus, greets you, always struggling on behalf, behalf, on your behalf in his prayers, that you may stand mature and fully assured in all the will of God. For I bear him witness that he has worked hard for you and for those in Laodicea, Laodicea and Heropolis. Luke, the beloved physician, greets you as does Demas. Give my greetings to the brothers at Laodicea and to Nympha and the church in her house. And when this letter has been read among you, have it also read in the church of Laodiceans, and see also that you read the letter from Laodicea. And say to Archippus, see that you fulfill the ministry that you have received from the Lord. I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. Remember my chains. Grace be with you. God, we thank you for this time that we could be before your word. We ask that you would help us to understand what it is to be part of the family of God. Uh, May we understand what it means to be changed, that our perspective is different from those we know and those we uh, have not met as well. God, thank you for this time. Work in your church, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. may be seated. It's hard for us to uh, think about living in a world where there's not the post office, where there's not email, where there's not the telephone or the cell phone, where there's not cars and buses and planes. It's hard for us to imagine a world like that, and yet that's the world that the Bible was written in. And so... When you think about communication uh, one to another, uh, families that lived in a distant city would never see each other. They would rarely 
talk to one another. They would rarely visit one another. They were simply living in different cities at different times, many times not hearing for years how their family was doing. And the title of my message this morning is Family Greetings. And it's because I couldn't figure out a better uh, title for it is why I titled that. And so what we're going to see here at the end of the letter, and it's pretty common in Paul's writings that he would do this, is that he lists out different people that are with him that send greetings to the place where he's writing. And there's different connections that happen. And, and you have to ask yourself the question, why is it so important that these people speak to these people? And what is it, the idea of sending them greetings and saying hello and and a blessing? What is it? What is the connection between these people who live in different places, in different cities, and may not even know one another, definitely do not know one another intimately? What is the connection? And I want to tell you, uh, the connection is the gospel of Jesus Christ. The gospel of Jesus Christ. Um, I think of Dennis and Debbie who are here today. And how many of you have never met Dennis and Debbie? You've never met? That's wrong. That's wrong. Well, we're sending a trip. For, it's going to be a first service trip down to Mexico to hang out with Dennis and Debbie for the week. Um, you've never met them. And it's a good example of what we're talking about here. You know what? Some of you have made communication with them. You sent a shoebox down there to Mexico. And some of you say, well, I've never met him personally, but my kid has gone down to Mexico and we have that relationship. And they told me stories of sifting sand and not shifting sand. That's bad, but sifting sand for stucco and and how they met these people that were in need and we had the opportunity to bless them. And Dennis was we, we get these connections. And so there is a connection. Well, what is it? It's the gospel of Jesus Christ. And in this book, uh, the book of Colossians, where we have seen Jesus as superior to all other options in life, all of them, all other ideas about what it means to know God, Jesus is superior. And in him being superior, there's an example of this, these family greetings that Paul is going to share. So let's look at them one at a time. And we're, uh, Lord willing, we're going to make it Uh, probably down through verse 15 this morning. So maybe that'll help you, encourage you as we go through this. You know that there's an end time. time. Not end times, but anyways. Verse 7, verse 7. He speaks of Tychicus and Onesimus. And he says this, and it's interesting. So these are the messengers. These are the messengers. These are the ones that probably hold in their hand, in their knapsack, in whatever... These are the ones who hold the letter for the Colossians. They're the ones that are going to roll in, and as the church assembles, they're going to turn it over and say, this is from Paul. This is from Paul. Now, if you could picture that, Tychicus and Onesimus, they're probably the ones that hold this letter. Interestingly enough, at the same time, they might hold two other letters, or maybe even others that we don't know about. Ephesus, the letter to the church at Ephesus, that letter that we have in our scriptures, was also delivered by Tychicus. And so possibly Onesimus was part of that as well. And then there's another letter about that same time that Paul wrote to Philemon, the person Philemon, 
on behalf of Onesimus. So there might be this idea that they have three letters with them, maybe more, maybe just one. We don't know. But they are the messengers that are handing over this letter. Now, when uh, uh, the postman comes uh, to your door, uh, most of the time, uh, well, first of all, they don't come to the door in Bear Valley Springs. They come to the mailbox cluster and they shove it in there. And they don't wait for you to come pick up your mail, do they? They don't come to you and they say, let me explain the mail that uh, you're getting right here. This is a bill. I was talking to the bill collector and they, they really want you to pay this by a certain time. Um, this is an advertisement. I was talking to this advertiser and they're trying to sell you a bunch of junk. And then there's no explanation that goes on with the post, the postal worker. They just throw it in the box and go. In this culture, in, in, as Paul was sharing with this, first of all, he didn't trust just anyone. That this was considered a fellow minister, even as we look at uh, this passage, how he describes uh, this man. If you look down at it with me, he will tell you about all my activities. He is a beloved brother and a faithful minister. You know, a, part, a postal worker, you know, I'm sure there's a background check of some sort. But it isn't that there's this deep connection to the one sending, to the, to the one who brings the message. And yet there was. And so the idea here is different than just a postal worker. It's someone who carried a letter, letter and he, he, he brought the heart of Paul written down. He, they were bringing that and, and not just bringing it, but as they would read it, it wasn't a sense of like, I don't know what he was talking about. He didn't talk to me about it. But there was a sense of, of minister to them and encouragement and probably even explanation of following up and saying, let me explain to you what Paul meant. That's what these two men did. These two men uh, didn't just bring the letter they also brought the news about Paul, the news about Paul. And, and this is hard for us to imagine, and yet maybe it isn't so hard for us to imagine. It, this last week, um, when I got to go down and see CJ in the hospital, I got to talk to some people afterwards, and you know what they said? What did they say? How is she? How is she? What, what was it like? You know, they, they were looking for news. Why? Because they were connected to her. They love her. And so that's the, the idea here is they saw Paul. They wanted to know, but not just, it's really, Paul didn't have this deep, long relationship with the church at Colossae, but it's to hear the news, to hear the news. And what was the news? Uh, the news was that Paul was imprisoned for sharing the gospel for preaching, and they were hearing about how that was all playing out, and they were getting the news of Paul's imprisonment. I already shared with you that they saw Tychicus and Onesimus as fellow ministers and, and ones that worked alongside. You know, that's the picture of the church, isn't it? That it's not just a pastor, a couple other pastors, an elder board, people who serve in different ministries, and and then there's all the rest of the people that don't matter. No. It's the idea that we are fellow workers alongside one another. Not just uh, you know doing physical things, but the idea of sharing the gospel. 
It wasn't that, that these two men came and rolled into town and gathered as the church and they, they said, well, let me, let me help set up chairs and the, you know, let me help do this. But they were ministering to their needs. They were encouraging this church that needed to hear from God. And so these men came. I love the word that's used here uh, that talks about their purpose. If you look down at verse 8, it says this, I have sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are, and that he may encourage your hearts. He may encourage your hearts. Um, we need to think about that, don't we? And, and the reason I say we need to think about that is that Paul was sending sending this man in Onesimus. He was sending them to them. And he, he was sending them with a purpose. What was the purpose? To bring the letter. To bring the letter. Okay? And most likely to even explain the letter. And so as they brought that, they came. And they said, okay, so now we're done. But no, their, their purpose was not just that they would share the news, give the letter, explain any things that they didn't understand, and then get out of town. But that they might be encouraged. That they might be encouraged, might be lifted up. I want I want you to ask a question. So what happens when you and another believer get together? What happens? I'm not saying when you set an appointment, hey, let's go out to lunch and talk. We haven't talked for a while. That, that could be included. But what happens when you meet another believer? And you, you speak to one another and then you walk away. What should be true of your interaction? You know, I, I spent some time with you this last week and I walked away extremely discouraged. Is that, should that be the purpose of our time together? Do any of you have the gift of discouragement? You know, you know uh, I'm really gifted, you know. People can be in a great mood when they meet me and then I just... So, this is the purpose of the church. And let me, let me set the... the um, the setting for you a little little more what was the environment of this church what was the idea at this time as the these churches and these cities were cropping up what was going on i'll tell you real plainly they were persecuted they're persecuted they were ostracized they were thought of as weird and as they came together as the church you know what they did it was the idea they licked their wounds they uh um regrouped they mobilized and 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 encouraged one another and said okay we got to go out there now we got to go out there and so the purpose as paul sent this man these two men to them he says you know i, I sent them to you to encourage you mark this in your minds uh that when you have interaction with other believers that when you see each other during the week and this is one of the things that I think is so great about Tehachapi, especially for the middle schoolers and the high schoolers. For the most part, they see each other every day. And what that means is they can encourage each other every day. They choose to do so. How about you all? You guys see each other quite a bit. Some of you are neighbors. Some of you work together. Some of you will see each other in uh, the markets in town here or even if you go down to the big city sometimes and you go to Costco or something, you'll see. I, I want to ask you the question, do you see it as your purpose to encourage the people that you're with? Or do you just say, I'm just going to tell them how I feel and if I'm having a bad day, they'll get to sharing it. 
They'll get to enjoy it even after I'm gone. (laughs) Encouragement. That's what he calls them to. That's why he sent them, uh, not just for the letter, not just for the news, but to encourage them. You look down as it describes Onesimus. He says, I send you Tychicus, verse 9, and with him Onesimus. And you, you read that word, and if you've studied the New Testament, you say, well, who is Onesimus? Great name, by the way. Uh, Onesimus, uh, if it's the same one, and we assume it to be the same one, uh, is connected to the book of Philemon. Philemon. And if you read the book of Philemon, I'll tell you the whole story. It's only one chapter. Uh, You should read it even if I give away the ending. But Onesimus, we talked about him a few weeks ago uh, when it talked about slave-master relationship. Onesimus was a slave. Okay? He was a slave. And a slave, uh, not just a slave, but a runaway slave. A runaway slave. He, He left his master and he ran away. And from all we understand, Paul led him to Jesus Christ. Paul shared the gospel with him, and Onesimus accepted the gospel. And so what what you have here, runaway slave, uh, he broke the law, basically, of the day and of the time. He runs away, he comes to know Christ, been changed by the gospel, and now, quite possibly, on this same trip, he is holding a letter to Philemon. Who is Philemon? He's his master that he's ran away from. That's a believer, okay? So you, you get this complicated story. You have Onesimus, an unbeliever, runs away. He comes to know Christ. Now he's coming back to his master that is a believer, and he has this letter from Paul, and the gist of the letter is this. Onesimus, don't think of him as just a slave. Think of him as a brother. Think of him as a brother. And so as he describes Onesimus, listen to what he says. And with him, Onesimus, our faithful and beloved brother. Faithful and beloved brother. Who is one of you? Who's one of you? This is is such a great picture of transformation. You know, uh, you think about it, oh, just a slave, just a slave. He's just a slave. If you're a master, you probably thought of yourself as someone who's pretty awesome and wealthy and better than, this is, this is just a slave. In fact, he's a worthless slave. Just, he's, he's lazy, he, he never, he's always trying to get away, and now he's gotten away, and he's probably thinking, ah, get rid of him. He's Onesimus. He's, but no, no, he comes back as what? A faithful and beloved brother. Changes everything. Uh, some of you have been around Tehachapi for a while. And you see somebody uh, in town. And you, you say, oh, I remember them. Maybe, maybe you knew them in school. You, oh, what a loser. What a loser. You know, pot smoker. Druggy. He's always getting into trouble. In fact, you, you know, he, he's involved with the police. He's been doing all these terrible things. He's been vandalizing. All these, oh, what a worthless person. What if they come to know Christ? How does that change everything? It does, doesn't it? Because now it's not about their tattoos or their piercings. It's not about their their flat hats and their attitudes. Uh, It changes everything. It changes everything. Because Christ has changed it. 
And he's changed our relationship. This is what happened to Onesimus. He's one of you. We go to verse 10 and we look at Aristarchus. This is what he describes him as. And remember, this is part of the family. You know, this is all, this is who we are. This is who we are. And he describes him as this. My fellow prisoner greets you. My fellow prisoner. We don't know what he did. Uh, we don't know. That there's a great possibility that he did nothing other than he identified himself with Paul in such a way that he too was in prison. In fact, he could not, there's a possibility he wasn't in prison at all other than he desired to be in prison. So Paul is, is chained and uh, re- confined and, and he says, I'm going to go with Paul. So I'm free, but I'm going to go with Paul because I need to minister to him. So I am now imprisoned as well. Okay. This great picture, I, I look at uh, who this man might have been. He might have been a volunteer prisoner. The idea that his own freedom was not worthy to be cling to, but rather to partner with Paul. It's so hard for us to grasp this, isn't it? We live in a great country. We live in a beautiful place. We experience amazing freedoms. And the idea of going to prison for our faith, it's hard for us to imagine. But what if it did happen? What if it did happen for just naming the name of Christ? Maybe for identifying with Bear Valley Church. Maybe there's a day coming where they will come to the church and They'll storm the, the, the doors. They're just open. Just come on in. Uh, they'll, they'll storm the doors of Bear Valley Church and they'll demand, let me see the pastor. And so he's in his office doing whatever. So why don't you go in there and you say, you're arrested for being the pastor of Bear Valley Church. And they take me away. And they, as they're walking out, they say, who is a member of Bear Valley Church? Who is a member so we hand over that list and they start coming one-to-one to, to you as, as, as part of the church. And you say, well, um, actually, uh, you know, I haven't really been for a while. And I was getting ready to, uh, you know, give my letter of resignation because I really didn't like that church. You know, there's a lot of things going on there that I don't buy into. And you're backing away, backing away. But the idea of, of as Paul identifies him, he doesn't say, you know, he's a jailbird, he's a criminal. He says he's a fellow prisoner. He's one of us. What a beautiful picture of who this man was. Um, A criminal, but not a criminal in a bad way, but in a good. It says that he greets them. He greets them. It's the idea of saying hi to them, but in a spiritual sort of way of saying, uh, send my blessings with them. He greets them. Should have brought a smile uh, to their face. It should have been encouragement to their soul. We move on uh, to verse. In the middle of verse ten, it says, "Also, Mark, the cousin of Barnabas, concerning whom you have already received instructions, if he comes to you, welcome him." It's interesting. Uh, Mark, the cousin of Barnabas. If you think this through and read through. He sends greetings, but that same Mark, uh, the cousin of Barnabas, had earlier on the first missionary journey, he was part of the team that went out. And you know what he did? He abandoned Paul. It was too hard. So he quit. 
He quit. He flaked out. He flaked out. And, and so you think about that and you think about when people disappoint you and when there's, uh, people problems and, you know, people don't want to be on the same team and finally someone says, forget it, I'm out of here and Mark left. Well, who did Mark leave? He left Paul. Who wrote the letter? Colossians. Paul did, right? And so these are Paul's words. Factor that in as you read this. He, he's talking about this Mark, and he says, And Mark, the cousin of Barnabas, concerning whom you have received instructions, if he comes to you, welcome him. Welcome him. If he shows up there, bring him in. Bring him in. Why? Because he's part of the team. I look at this, and I, I think about the way we treat people. And the way we treat, you know... You know what's hard about being a part of a church like this over a long period of time? You know, you know what the problem is? Uh, people know you. People know you. Uh, most of us can give a pretty good first impression. And the idea, you know, we can seem pretty awesome for a month, two months, maybe even up to a year. Figure, figure out up to a year. Um, and maybe some of you know each other for a period of time. And you say, oh, they're great. Everything's pretty. You know, they always... But you know what happens if you know people over time? They fail you. They fail you. They're sinful in your presence. Their sin affects you. And the point being here that even in the midst of ministry, I I want you to hear this, even in the midst of ministry where he flaked out over time and as repentance happened and as they had changed and God grew in them, Paul saw Mark as not just someone who is worthless, but someone who is a partner ready to be received. I just want to tell you and encourage you all, uh, your failures are not the final chapter in Jesus. Your failures are not the final chapter. You may have failed miserably. You may have done things that have marked you. And yet your failures aren't the final chapter when it comes to Jesus and in His church. Verse 11. Verse 11. We come to justice. Uh, In verse 11 it says, And Jesus, who is called Justice, and then He he talks about these three men He has marked. He, He has said this, these are the only men from the circumcision among my fellow workers for the kingdom of God. They have been a comfort to me. They've been a comfort to me. What he is describing these men, and as he sends greetings to them, he says, these are the only ones who were Jewish that have, have partnered with me. There was a sense in which what was so hard about the gospel is that as it came to the Jews, they were waiting for the Messiah. But when Jesus didn't come the way they wanted Him to come, there was a sense in which uh, the group was going, "Ah, that's not what we wanted. And so they were talking amongst themselves. And so the idea of breaking away from that, from coming and following after Christ, it was a big deal. And He marks these three and He says, these were the only three that had come. And what does it say about these three? I love it. Once again, it's similar to encouragement. What does he say? They have been a comfort to me. 
They've been a comfort to me. The idea of being in their presence. That's another word that I want people to feel as they go through difficult times. As uh, life is in upheaval in their, in their personal lives and in their spiritual life. When things are going wrong. I want to know that our interactions and the time that I spend and the way I stand by them is a comfort to them. And not a discomfort or bringing more chaos to their already chaotic world. We move on to verse 12. If you'll remember uh, a ways back, probably uh, eight months or so, maybe, maybe shorter, we talked about prayer. Talked about prayer. And this is the passage that I used. I won't re-preach it, but it's just a great passage on prayer. In verse 12 it says this, Epaphras, who is one of you, a servant of Christ Jesus, greets you. And then it describes him, and it says, Always struggling on your behalf in his prayers, that you may stand mature and fully assured in all the will of God. For I bear him witness that he has worked hard for you and for those in Laodicea and Hierapolis. You think about the work that he had done, how he had worked hard for them. What was it? What was the work that he did? Build them a house? No. Did he come and clean their house? That would be a work at the Bosler house, I tell you. We've got a lot of mess makers in our home. You think about the different things that could bless. Did he bring them a meal? No. There wasn't even a sense where they could really get to one another, right? We already talked about emails, phones, cars, and the, the separation. So how did he work hard for them? Look at what it says. This is how he worked hard for them. He struggled on their behalf in his prayers. He struggled for them. He struggled for them. It's the idea that he didn't just pray one day for Christ to change in them, change them from the inside. He struggled for them day after day. And you know what? When he didn't want to pray for them anymore, he continued the struggle. Why? Because he saw in them that, that there was a need for hard work that they might be standing mature in Him, fully assured the will of God, being where God want them, wanted him, them to be. What a beautiful picture. May we have more like Epaphras in our church here that are willing to struggle for one another in prayer. Verse 14, he speaks of Luke and Demas. Once again, it describes him, Luke, the beloved physician, greets you as does Demas. And, and as they would go through this, and as they see these separated church, and they talk about these individuals, it's the way to say hi, but not just hi in the sense of, I'm still living and you're still living, but to be encouraged, I still think about you. I care for you. I consider you family. Luke and Demas. It's interesting that uh, Paul also does this, that he also wants to connect with other people and, and he wants them to pass this along. Laodicea being an, an area near them, he says this. If you look at verse 15, he says, Give my greetings to the brothers at Laodicea. The brothers. I love that. I was... Uh, I was talking with one of our, our, our small children from, uh, from our church. 
that during vacation Bible school, he made a profession of faith. And he was real kind of quiet, and I'm a lot taller than he is, and he's just a little guy. And I saw him in the office here the other day, and I pulled him aside and I said, Hey, hey, I heard good things happen at vacation Bible school. And he goes, Yeah, yeah, they did. Good things. And, and I said, you know, you know what changed? And he was, you know, I asked all these weird questions that no kid's going to be able to answer, but I purposely do that. And he goes, yeah, I don't know. And I said, this is what changed. You know what? You know what? Our relationship changed. And he goes, I'm confusing him. And I said, you know what you are to me now? You're my brother. You're my brother. I'm a lot taller than you. Maybe that won't always be true. But we, because you've come into the family of God, I've already been in the family of God. You know what? So now we're brothers. Isn't that a beautiful picture of what we are? You know, as Paul says that, he's talking about this church of people, and he says, send my greetings to them. Why? Because we're family. Because we're family. Did he know everyone in that church? I don't think he did. I don't think he did. I don't know if he knew even a, a handful of them. But he knew this. That even though, even though he may not have known their names, he wasn't able to spend Thanksgiving with them, right? Holidays, birthdays. He, was, he didn't, wasn't able to share with them on a daily basis. What were they? They were family. Family possibly that he had never met. They were connected in the gospel. They were brothers. The last one uh, that we'll talk about this morning, in the middle of verse 15, he says, And to Nympha, the church and the church in her house. I don't know how these all work out, but there's a possibility that Laodicea, the area of Laodicea, had many believers, many more, I should say. And then there was this little church and this lady who held this church in her house. I don't know how many people came. Maybe it was 10, 15. Seems pretty insignificant, right? The Apostle Paul, that he would mention a small church that doesn't matter at all. And yet he does. Why? I think it is a, a, a God-ordained a tipping of the hat, a blessing of a small, insignificant church. But a church is never insignificant. Never. No matter how small the size when it comes to people being changed by the gospel. And I think about, when I think of this woman and I smile, the idea that she was opening her home so that the church could meet in her home. Talk about that for a while too. You think about the home that you live in and you decorate, you clean. For why? Why do you do that? What's the purpose of your home? You say, well, to sleep. Good. To eat, to raise a family, absolutely. All those things are true. But the idea that that is not a barrier, uh, a shutting of the door, a locking of it, in fact, quite the opposite, that door should swing open, and especially for opportunities like having the church in your home. We're not going to invade any one of your homes, uh, 300 people coming over on a, a Sunday afternoon or anything like that. But when you have people in your home... God's people. It's an issue for a family. And this woman obviously understood that. I want to end our time this morning with three questions. Three questions. And hopefully this will help cement to you uh, the purpose of this 
passage that we've gone through this morning. First question I want to ask is, are you a part of the family of God? Are you a part of the family of God? If you have not trusted in Jesus Christ, if you have not identified and turned over uh, the life that you have lived and, and seen Him as He is, the Savior for you, a sinner, as well as Him being the one that He is, the Lord, then you have not had entrance into the family of God. It's not something that's all that complicated in the sense of there's no class you have to go through or boxes you need to check off or prerequisites. It's the idea of you praying a prayer, of coming to the, to the Father through the Son and saying, I am a sinner. I am a sinner. I need a Savior. Please take over my life. Cleanse me of my sins. Bring me into your family that I may spend eternity with you. Pray a prayer like that. And then you become, by the work of God, by what He had His Son do on the cross, which we have sung about, then we become a clean, fit person, brought into His family, adopted, the Scriptures say, and family with one another. Are you part of the family of God? The second question I want to ask you, and... I think about this when it comes to really the the messengers. What news are you anxious for? What news are you anxious for? We are um, a news-driven culture. We have up-to-date information on everything. and We rush to hear the news. We hear the news about the economy. We hear the news about world events. We hear the news about sports and what's going on and criminal activity and uh, all, all these different things. And there's a sense in which we're anxious and our our day hinges on the news of things that are going on in our world. I want you to ask the question, what was the news that was shared in this last interaction? The news was about the people in the family of God. That they were sending greetings back and forth. And as the church at Colossae received news, they received news about a prisoner, an important prisoner. Who was it? It was Paul. And it was important not because Paul was important, but because Paul had been changed by the gospel and now he was a preacher of it. What is the news you're anxious for? Who are the people that you're concerned about? If you're part of the family of God, be concerned about his people. Be concerned about our missionaries. Be concerned about our young people. Be concerned about those who are sick and those who are needy. Be concerned about how the gospel is going out from here. These are the news events that our day should hinge on. The last question I have for you. Is the success of the church your main concern? Is the success of the church your main concern? As I think about these interactions, these were just people. I think sometimes, especially with the Apostle Paul, we think that there was some glow about him that made him different. That, that sometime, you know, if you'd cut him, that he'd have different color of blood or something like that. And that only kryptonite could get to him or something. Paul was just a man. And then he lists just other men. And he talks about a church that just another church. And he talks about this smaller church that met at this lady's house. 
And these were just people. But what distinguished them? Just a couple of things. Is first of all, they've been changed by Jesus. They were saved. And in being saved, they were part of the family of God. And as being part of the family of God, their main concern, their main concern was the success of the church. And that's what they were talking about. They were concerned about this little church and that little church and the church from where Paul was, the prisoner church that they were doing and these other churches that were around there. This was their main concern. I know we struggle with many things and we worry and concern ourselves with many things. Is it his church? Is it his church? Let's pray and ask God to change our heart uh, that we might be like these people. God, thank you. Thank you for the opportunity of being before your word. Thank you for allowing us this picture, this window into the workings of a church in biblical times. God, I pray that we would have similar hearts as we seek to be your church now, uh, in this location, in this time, in this city, um, with this group of people. God, thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.